Hello and welcome to another episode of the Migration Oxford podcast. I'm Rob McNeil. And I'm Jackie Broadhead. So Jackie, today we're going to be talking about precarious migrants. Now, can you firstly just explain what do we mean by a precarious migrant? Thanks, Rob. We spend a lot of time in migration talking about regular and irregular migration or legal and illegal migration, but that is a really kind of binary way of thinking about it. It ends up meaning that people are either one or the other, when from research we know that the reality is that people often move in between, they spend a lot of time waiting for decisions to be made, um, and that's what we mean by precarious migrants. We also mean the consequences of that insecurity. So how does being precarious affect your ability to kind of get on and live your life? Okay, and so what then made you decide that we should be talking about this now? A couple of reasons. We've been doing some research in Compass looking at how this idea of precarity affects migrants' access to services in in cities. We've been looking at Cardiff, Frankfurt and Vienna. Um, But also it feels very timely given that the government at the moment uh, in the UK has this illegal migration bill where it's very focused on the way that people arrived into the country. So it really wants to say um, there's a different route for you if you arrived through uh, a legal or regular means rather than illegal or irregular means. Um, And that's sort of contrasted with the responsibilities, for example, for local government, the way that they might think about the people that are present in their area, uh, regardless of their immigration status or sometimes taking into account their um, immigration status, but still recognising the reality of people who are present, who they might need to provide services for. So, um, example, in relation to health. Um, We had a really good example of that during the pandemic, where um, in the UK and also in other European countries, you had the example of approaches to homelessness. So we had the everyone in approach in the UK about saying, regardless of immigration status, we want to provide housing because the pandemic is kind of more important at this point. Um, and the reaction to the pandemic. And something similar also happened with vaccines. So it was about access to vaccines for everybody. Your immigration status isn't necessarily the most important thing about you. I'm joined by Dr Marie Malay, Senior Researcher here at Compass at the University of Oxford. Shams Asadi, the Head of Human Rights and Human Rights Commissioner for the City of Vienna. And Wanjiku Mbugwa, the Acting CEO of Bauso. Marie. We often hear about regular and irregular migrants, or even legal and illegal migrants. But today we're talking about precarious migrants. Why do you think it's helpful to use the term precarious rather than simply irregular or illegal? A legal status is fluid. There's fluidity. And sometimes people can come in and out of that particular status. So they can uh, enter a country with a, a visa and then uh, lose the right to stay because they might overstay. And so because of this, they are deprived of, of or maybe they run the risk of losing some of the most um, basic social rights. That's really interesting because people so often think of migration status as a binary rather than something that's fluid, as you say. And And how does this sort of fluidity and this precarity impact on local access to services for precarious migrants and and why does this matter well it, it really matters because the lack of legal status um, usually leads to exclusion 
uh, from various services due to uh, restrictions on eligibility or, or sometimes even concerns uh, about the potential consequences of providing uh, services to this group of it can exacerbate uh, the vulnerabilities and the inequalities that these people these migrants um, experience if they don't have access to basic services they cannot meet their basic needs uh, for example obtaining medical treatment or enrolling their children in, in school etc thanks so much marie wanjiku your organization bowso supports people in wales who are affected by domestic and other forms of abuse how does precarious status impact on women's ability to access support and how does it affect the support that's provided for them in Wales, a lot of migrants with a precarious status are not seen as full human beings, if I can use that word. Really, they're, not, they're seen as if they're aliens. And when things happen to them, when bad things happen to them and they need help, they're not treated as the local um, residents. The women the, and men uh, families that we support who have been victims of domestic abuse, have been victims of exploitation on, and modern slavery, human trafficking. Um, the, the first question that is asked of them is what's their immigration status? Nobody looks to see, so you suffer domestic abuse. What has happened to you? How can we help you? The first question that is asked to anybody that speaks with an accent uh, that is not English, that is not of white color, um, that is looked to be somebody from somewhere else. The first question is always, what is the immigration status? And that to determine whether this person will be supported or not. Uh, in most cases, uh, the impact of this is that support is delayed. Or well, somebody support, supposed to be supported as soon as they ask for help, as soon as you call into a local authority office and say, I've suffered abuse, as soon as you've gone into the police station to say, my partner is abusing me and my life is in danger, you're supposed to receive that support immediately, be placed in a place of safety. This is not what happens to these migrants. Uh, we had a case uh, about three years ago where two older women were taken in by social services because they've been found in really dire situations, living in dilapidated house, abused and exploited. The two women, those one local Welsh woman and those one black African lady, the local Welsh woman was taken straight away to a nursing home. She was cared for and um, her, her, her healing began immediately. The... Um, Black African lady was asked to produce her um, papers to show who she was, where she was, or whether she has the right to be in Wales, which is really painful because at that point, all the, she's as human as the other lady, and all that she needed was to be rescued from the situation that she was in. And luckily for us, the social worker brought her to Bowser and we were able to take her on. And that's the difference that Bowser makes in that we do not look at people's uh, ethnicity or color or the, the, the right to they have, the benefits they're entitled to. We support everybody that comes our way, and especially those that are said to have no recourse to public funds. How do we do this? We campaign, we lobby, we raise the issue, we raise this issue over and over again with the policymakers, with the governments, not just in Wales, but across the world, just to say that this people need to be supported just like any other people. Just because somebody hasn't got the right benefits doesn't mean that they're not victims of domestic abuse, doesn't mean that they haven't suffered um, the exploitation like the other 
person who has the, the right to benefit. So we, we lobby, we campaign, and I'm very pleased to say that in the last few years, we've seen flirtation to this. We've seen uh, success, good things have come out. The Home Office has for the last two years funded us on a pilot that's, that, that looked to support um, victims of domestic abuse from migrant communities. They've given us funding for the last two years. And I'm pleased to say that just last week, the government has written to Bowser to say that uh, they're going to accord us some money uh, starting from the next financial in April, where they're giving some funds to support women with no recourse to public funds who are victims of domestic abuse. So I'm very, uh, we're fighting all the time. Normally you'd expect when you're looking for a service to be put in place for a community, you're just going and saying, oh, we really need this because the people in supporting need A, B, C, D. But no, it's not the same for the precarious migrants. You're fighting. You're fighting against people who are saying these people don't deserve it. And just saying, yes, they do because they're human beings too. Shams, Vienna is a human rights city. Um, what does this mean for the city's approach to support for precarious migrants? And, and how has this changed as your role has developed? Inclusion is the key word for the human rights cities, and Vienna is not an exception here. And we uh, work from the side of the city administration for all that they, all people that they live in Vienna, no matter from where they come, no matter what kind of residence status they have or uh, which language they speak and with uh, sex or sexual orientation they have. So um, it's two points that they are, it's very important for a human rights city. The most important is inclusion. And the second important point is preventing from vulnerability. And the term vulnerability changing in the city. Sometimes they are the elderly people, sometimes they are children, sometimes in context of violence, they are women. And most of the time, they are the people that they are in precarious situation. The aim and target of the human rights city and Vienna is to uh, just prevent the uh, precarity for people through providing of information, access to information, and of course, preventing of exploitation. Exploitation is the very important subject in the context of precarious migration. And of course, human trafficking plays a huge role here. And we, as a human rights city, we took the people that affected from the um, human trafficking in our social welfare system. Shams, the COVID-19 pandemic changed some aspects of support for precarious migrants, for example, in relation to housing, healthcare in particular, around vaccinations. Um, how did this change impact Vienna? And are there lessons that you've taken from the support that was provided at that time or some of the challenges that you're taking with you post-pandemic? During pandemic, we noticed that two subjects, they gain more importance, uh, prevention from homelessness and health and access to health. And then city of Vienna started in this time, we do have a winter package from October until April. 
And then we extended this time in the last three years. And then everybody that uh, they were in Vienna and they hadn't the access to housing or they were just homeless, they came during this time to support of the city of Vienna and we increased the capacity of our um, just housing for um, homeless people more than 40%. And nobody at that time was assessed at the street. We are thinking about to extending of the winter package for the whole year. And after April, we are going to have discussions in our city administration to look at the people, to who they are, from, they, from where they come, if we could help them to just to uh, be settled in Vienna. And the second part was or still is health. During the pandemic time, the city of Vienna helped people to have their tests and it was very easy and it was just very, um, just for using of the test process, it was quite easy and opened like sport areas, schools and everything open for 24 hours and for everybody to be tested. Shams, the COVID-19 pandemic changed some aspects of support for precarious migrants for example, in relation to housing, healthcare in particular, around vaccinations. Um, how did this change impact Vienna? And are there lessons that you've taken from the support that was provided at that time or some of the challenges that you're taking with you post-pandemic? During pandemic, we noticed that two subjects, they gain more importance. Uh, prevention from homelessness and health and access to health. And then city of Vienna started in this time, we do have a winter package from October until April. And then we extended this time in the last three years. And then everybody that uh, they were in Vienna and they hadn't the access to housing or they were just homeless, they came during this time to support of the city of Vienna and we increased the capacity of our um, just housing for um, homeless people more than 40%. And nobody at that time was assessed at the street. We are thinking about to extending of the winter package for the whole year. And after April, we are going to have discussions in our city administration to look at the people, to who they are, from, they, from where they come, if we could help them to just to uh, be settled in Vienna. And the second part was or still is health. During the pandemic time, the city of Vienna helped people to have their tests and it was very easy and it was just very, um, just for using of the test process, it was quite easy and opened like sport areas, schools and everything open for 24 hours and for everybody to be tested. Wanjiku, Shams gave us an example um, of the work that had been happening during the COVID pandemic around different ways of thinking about this group. So I'm thinking around the everyone in policy and the way that all of the assumptions around housing and around exclusion of precarious migrants from 
homelessness assistance was turned on its head during the pandemic because of the public health need. Was that something that you saw? And are there lessons from the pandemic response that you'd like to see taken and built upon? Yes, yes. The example that you've given of where uh, during COVID, everyone was entitled to housing. Everybody was entitled to some kind of help if they found themselves in the situation where they were homeless during COVID. This was both in Wales and in England. And we told that this money came from public health. Um, this was really helpful. We found it really easy to support people that came our way that had no recourse to public funds because no one was turned away. And these funds were not just funds that were available to these people. They were available within the local authority contact centers. Um, if a social worker came across a victim that was going to be homeless, they were able to refer them to this project, they were able to refer them to this program, and everybody was helped. This is something we'd like to see uh, going on forward. Um, the fact that public health wells and other, other health bodies were able to raise this 10 million in wells, for example, uh, it just shows to go that there's money somewhere that can be used, uh, not just for emergencies, like COVID, but ongoing because the numbers that we're talking of, of precarious migrants are not that many. And we're not just talking of everybody who has no recourse to public funds. We're talking about pe those people that are vulnerable, people that are finding themselves in, in places of difficulties because of uh, domestic abuse, because of exploitation, such as modern slavery, uh, because they've run out of work, because they are ill, they've fallen ill, and they cannot work to their work permit. So um, if this money was made available to these people and, and other members of the, of the society in the UK, as we saw during COVID, this would be very helpful and nobody would be turned away. And nobody would say that because of their precarious um, uh, migrant status, they have missed out on the support that they would have needed at the time when they needed it. To finish up, I wondered, looking forward um, for each of you, if there's one thing that you would like to see happen to better support precarious migrants, access to services in cities, um, what would that be? Marie, I might start with you. Based on the, the research that, uh, that we have conducted um, as part of the Laramie project, um, we saw that perhaps the creation or the uh, development of um, one-stop shops, for example, uh, can have a really positive impact. Um, you know, providing a sort of centralized location where uh, precarious migrants can have ac access to a range of services um, and support is usually essential uh, for them because they have complex needs. And, um, you know, having this this one place where they can go for help uh, can can help um, you know, provide a pathway to regularization, um, for example. So they, they really need access to uh, to, to information and legal advice. We know that the law is complex. Uh, we know that uh, they need guidance to understand their rights uh, under the law, but also how to access different services, uh, these basic services that we've mentioned uh, earlier, um, employment, health, uh, family reunification, etc. cetera. Uh, so, so they need to be given um, this provided this guidance uh, to try and, and lift them up of from poverty, exclusion, uh, social exclusion, and also prevent exploitation. 
The idea of a one-stop shop that Marie has talked about is really good. It's such a great idea that there should be a one-stop shop, uh, a one place where somebody with a precarious migrant status can go in and seek the support that they need. This is really would be the first step in supporting these people fully. How do these people get to know about this support? How do they know that it's available, where it's available? We would have to raise awareness with a lot of people and especially people that come into contact with a lot of people, uh, people who work in the healthcare sector, people who work in hospitals, at the doctor's surgery, we need to be talking to social workers. We need to talk, be talking to civil servants in contact centers. We need to be talking to third sector voluntary organizations. We need to be talking to churches, mosques, places of worship where most of these people uh, attend and just raise awareness and let people know that this is available. One, one thing that I would also say that it's very important to let the local people know what's available because sometimes it takes the local person to direct the precarious migrant to where they can seek help. In the recent days, I know there's been support for Ukraine um, refugees, for example, and they're in certain places of, of support. They're, they're in places where they're being given support, and sometimes these places cannot be uh, made public for their own safety, but they're people that know where they are and they know how to contact these people. So such a system, such uh, support, well, if, if that was availed in every city where most of the people with precarious migrant status live, it would be very helpful. Um, the government uh, allowing for that would be a big step towards eradicating the exploitation that comes from people not knowing what's available to them. It would eradicate the pain and abuse that a lot of these people will go through in their lifetime. Um, so a one-stop shop, that would really be a good idea, but it has to be followed with a lot of raising awareness just to ensure everybody where uh, they can seek that support. For me also, access to information is very important, but the next step is if um, people, they are informed, what is going to happen? If there is affordable housing for people, to get in, if there's access to um, just education or access to labor market or for their children, if there's childcare is available, all of the uh, just possibilities in the society, it is very important. And cities and local levels, they are in the position that they have to uh, just provide, but financing of all of the services is also a quite um, big question. Who is going to finance? And if there is some um, just cooperation for financing of all of these services, it is between the national level and local level, or if, if it's from European level, um, the legal status is very important. Just we have to have from the European level just a very clear strategy for our uh, migrants that they come to Europe. If they are three years or five years or whatever, that we have to speak about that at European level afterwards to have it in a uh, to bring it in a legal status that people, if they are three or five years in the European, uh, I mean, um, just countries or member countries, or just even if they are not member countries, 
they, if they are in Europe, continent Europe, they became citizens in our countries and get the whole uh, benefits. Thanks so much. It's been wonderful to have such an important discussion on such a vital topic from the perspectives of research, policymaking and practitioners. You've been listening to the Migration Oxford podcast. I'm Rob McNeil. And I'm Jackie Broadhead.